You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. another episode of the x-man podcast i'm your host doc coyle thank you as always for checking out the program excuse me <clears throat> gotta clear that throat a little bit uh yeah apologies been a, been, a, been a few weeks since i did the last show and i have a bunch of shows in the can uh, along with today i have an episode coming out with johnny santos from spine shank i think his first interview in i don't even know how many years uh edsel dope of dope and Will Putney, producer of many of the artists you love, uh, coming up. And then we're doing, I was, the in the intro, I was going to kind of talk about this whole Ronnie Radke, Sebastian Bach, Eddie Trunk thing, but uh, with the, the laptop, laptop gate. But uh, I'm doing another one of the symposiums tomorrow, and we're going to talk about that. So I'll, I'll, I'll hold that, hold my opinion for now. But... You know, I've been having a little rough one lately. I don't just, 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 to, it's kind of a rough patch in life, and that's how things go. Um, but I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> um, kind of want to talk about this Kanye West thing. Um, he's such a unique figure, I think, in modern times. You know, when you think about what it means to kind of be an artist and, in many ways, like his biggest skill is getting attention, right? In a in a landscape where our number one job, our number one responsibility is getting attention. It's the hardest thing to do. He's a master at it, right? But <laughs> about 90% of the things he gets attention for is for really negative things, which in many ways makes him kind of, you know, if, if Donald Trump is king of the trolls, he's kind of like maybe right underneath, right? Um, this I, the difference between being uh, famous and, and infamous, you know, when you, you, you think about him, you think about George Bush don't, doesn't care about black people, which to some people was uh, him telling the truth. Some people uh, was offensive. Think about him jumping on stage with Taylor Swift, which I think across the board was was seen as him being just an asshole. And, you know, in the past few years, things have just gotten worse and worse and worse. Uh, you know, and, and, and we kind of tie that to his mental health place, you know, that, you know, he deals with uh, bipolar disorder and heard about him going off his medication and things like that. But, you know, you go back to, you know, 20, was it 2016 or 20, you know, I think it was actually after 2016 when he, you know, came out for Trump, um, which is whatever. Um, I think it was more the, the, the way in which he came out and kind of, uh, 
you know, the, I think about the infamous TMZ interview when he, he said slavery, slavery was a choice. <laughs> you know, he goes 400 years. That sounds like a choice. I think that gives you a lot of, uh, introspection to his, his perspective. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can't even, there's, there's so many things, right. You know, uh, that's got, you know, even, you know, recently when his last album came out, he brought out Marilyn Manson and the baby who were, you know, going through each of their kind of being canceled, you know, for being terrible people episodes and, and all that stuff is, is just meant to, to get attention. And then within this last week, we basically have the, the triumvirate of him and Candace Owings at his art, at his uh, fashion show, wearing the white lives matter t-shirts. Which again, like, does the phrase "white lives matter" uh, bother me? No. Um, just in, in so far as like the the uh, all lives matter as a blanket term without context uh, is not offensive. Um, but the truth is, it only exists as a uh, response to Black Lives Matter, right? It is um, a protest right of of that movement or you know for some people they're just talking about the organization for other people it's a movement i think it's more about the movement but to me it was just a troll right you know he he thinks that it's uh i don't know it's just oh i'm just going to be a contrarian that's what it is to me and i'm just going to push buttons and and it and to push bus buttons and piss a lot of people off and he got his requisite attention right and then he went on tucker carlson And I mean, and you know, visibly looks, you know, like an unwell person. And then it's just going on these, like, I mean, like word salad, jumping from one, uh, topic to the other kind of blending conspiracies, you know, and, and then the, then the cherry on top is this week, you know, he, he does a, uh, he gets, let well actually he got kicked off Instagram because he posted texts with Diddy and he in in that that he had with uh Puff Daddy saying that uh the Jews were controlling Puff Daddy and making him uh try and stop Kanye and then he doubled down on that um <laughs> let me see if I can find the tweet if you, if you haven't seen it uh Kanye, I'm, I'm looking this up in real time. See, this is how, how pre prepared I am. You know. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I don't want to say it. Uh, I want to say it verbatim. I don't want to just, uh, what is it? What is it? Yeah, he was going to go Death Con 3 on the Jewish people. And basically, <laughs> which, you know, did he mean to say Def Con or did he actually purposely go death con actually kind of make it worse that he w wishes death on the Jewish people and said that uh, he couldn't be uh, anti-Semitic because black people are Jew. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's just, and it's weird that, you know, that some people have actually defended this, that he, basically like he's too crazy to actually be hateful. And it's like, this is as, this is blatant. It's absolutely blatant. Um, and I don't know what, what's worse. This, you know, slavery was a choice or this. I feel like this is almost worse because 
at least with slavery, he's talking about something in the past that affects people now. But, you know, he's, he's making judgments about people who are no longer here. But he's this he's talking about, uh, you know, a whole community that exists now and will be affected by this. Um, and I think, you know, in many ways, he represents like the limitations of, of what cancel culture is supposed to be, right? Because you have one group of people who goes, oh, cancel culture doesn't exist. And other people, basically, they they see it everywhere. Everyone's being canceled, blah, blah, blah. Where it's, if everyone's being canceled, then no one's being canceled, right? Um, and Kanye, he's done, like I said, these million things that would be, quote, unquote. Like, actually, the first time I ever heard the phrase canceled was from Kanye. And that was after the uh, the Trump thing. But he's kind of proven, like, if you're if you're a bankable entity and you, you know, whether it's his music or his shoes, whatever, this guy is a money machine that essentially, you know, kind of doesn't really matter, matter what you say. I think outside of doing, you know, a really, you know, vicious crime or something, I think you can, if, if you generate enough money for enough people, you can kind of get away with anything. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see what happens after this. But I think in many ways, you know, uh, they say you get the leaders you deserve, but I think you also, to some degree, get the celebrities and uh, famous people you deserve because their success um, and presence in, in in the public view is a reflection of our values. And and even if it's a, a, a train wreck, you know, uh, as long as it's an entertaining train wreck, we're we're we're, we're there for it. Um, but I think it's a really rough place where this kind of like contrarian view of just like, I'll do the opposite where, because he's kind of chosen a path, you know, politically and culturally, those people will reflexively stand up for him. And I don't know how you stand up for this, you know? And by the way, apparently this is, you know, this is not something new. Uh, Van Lathan, who was the guy who challenged uh, Kanye at the um, the TMZ interview, said that during that 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 conversation, he brought up that he was like pro Hitler or pro Nazi or something at that time, and then they cut it out of the TMZ thing, so you didn't see that. And then he brought up stuff similar to that in because uh, apparently he's. A lot of this view is from this like black Israelite thing. Like these are like these these black dudes you'll see like outside talking crazy shit out. Like they'll have like pamphlets and just be saying wild shit. He like believes this stuff that like uh, the real Jewish people are actually black people. And it's a weird fucking thing. Um, and also like very like anti-Semitic and racist. Like it's, it's fucked up. Um, but he was saying it there. You know, if you it, there's footage from the Tucker Carlson interview where he's saying stuff similar to that that they cut out as well, which is like very telling. And then apparently they just cut his. They, they there's a show, The Shop, like LeBron James's show with uh, his agent Maverick Carter on HBO, and they they cut his they cut the episode because apparently he was saying shit there. So this is not him being crazy. This is not. Uh, you know, some people, you know, like, oh, this is, he's just saying normal Republican stuff. I think that's a bridge too far. Um, 
I think I think this is really problematic. And uh and I think we should be able to like have some consensus about going, you know what? This guy doesn't need a a, a megaphone anymore. And, and even though I know like you can't uh you know, freedom of speech and all that, but doesn't mean we need to have him on our shows and, and stuff like that. But I'm I'm done with Kanye. Not that I haven't really been a fan in a while, even though like I checked out I'll check out his songs, you know, I'll check out the like, new album. I wasn't really into it, but I think I'm even done with that now. And, uh, yeah, I think he's a bad guy. I think he's a really bad guy. And I, I didn't even mention all the shit, you know, him, uh, harassing, uh, his, his ex-wife and Pete Davidson and all this. Yeah. Fuck Kanye. How about that? <laughs> That's the simple version. Anyway, that's my rant. Uh, we do have a show sponsor this week. This is a band. You like that? Like that segue? Pretty smooth. It's a band from Indiana, and they're called Symphony of Heaven. And we're gonna play a song from theirs entitled "Dead Winter Fields." <laughs>
So that was Symphony of Heaven with their track Dead Winter Fields, which is from their album, their 2021 album, Maniacal Entropic Discordium. And I really enjoyed that song. Uh, I thought the, the production was great. And I, I think the thing I liked most was the, the kind of how well done the progressive elements were done. And it's just... And it busted some really solid black metal. Really like the singer. So the, the actually the band started really as a uh, solo band with the the singer and guitar player. And slowly over the last, back in 2017 and in 2018 and 2019, he added more members. And yeah, they're just, uh, they're cranking along. And I think they're, they're kicking ass. Uh, but like I mentioned, they're from Indiana. If you want to check out the band, they have uh, a website uh symphony slash or i'm sorry uh symphony dash of heaven of dash heaven.com uh, you can check out their band camp symphony of heaven.bandcamp.com or you can also go over to their instagram which is instagram.com backslash symphony underscore of underscore heaven and as you can hear they are very badass and i really appreciate them sponsoring the show check them out tell them Doc Coyle and the X-Men sent you because they're kicking ass. Uh, if you'd like to sponsor the show, like I said, I have a bunch of shows coming up, so we need sponsors. Uh, just shoot me an email at thexmanpodcast at gmail.com. Remember, that is EX, or just uh, hit me up in the DMs. All right. Without further ado, I have a guest who needs no introduction. It is the Devin Townsend, uh, I guess most notably of Strap Young Lad, but he's also played with Steve Vai and his uh, his solo stuff has appeared under many different monikers, uh, Devin Townsend Project, Devin Townsend Band. <laughs> um, but yeah, I've, I've known Devin about 20 years, uh, former label mates. And, you know, uh, you know I, I hold him in such high esteem as you'll hear from the interview. And, you know, it's just an absolute pleasure. Like he's one of these guys almost didn't even think I would ever get him on the show. So the fact that the opportunity was just, you know, beyond me. So I'm going to stop running my mouth and I'm going to hand it over to Devin. So check out this conversation with the legendary Mr. Devin Townsend. Doc. Devin. How's it going, buddy? It's going very well. Good. This is, this is like a very, very uh, nice surprise. Not that I wasn't expecting you today, but just the opportunity to speak with you is a is a nice surprise. Because I almost felt, you know, I don't know. I was like, man, I can't I can't bother Devin to do the show, man. He's, he's too busy. Hey, man. Dude, man, it's been a while, dude. It's like uh, I think we come from the same the same lineage of of uh dysfunction so it's like <laughs> worth both our time man i need you to elaborate on that what which dysfunction is what you speak of well the uh the industry when we first started mm. uh was in a much different place and i think that you probably remember doing some of the uh, uh direct management tours as well where there's like 40 people in a van and uh seven bands on a on a six band bill and uh you know doors are at six first bands are on at 4 30. <laughs> uh listen I've, I've i've had some times but uh you know my my background is so rooted in the hardcore scene and kind of diy culture that 
kind of roughing it, I feel like is is the the kind of mean. And then anything above that, you're just like, how did I get? You know, you just feel lucky that there's like, oh, there's catering. Oh, cool, cool, that's cool. <laughs> food, Fair I like, enough. I like food. I'm on, like, you're on a bus. Oh, a bus. Whoa, I, what a, what did I do to deserve this? You know, so. Fair enough, um, man. Fair and enough. I'm, you know, and I'm only working with maybe like a fragment of the talent. So you, you know, I always have this like idea of like. Uh, some of the most like uh, upset people. I'm not saying you're this person, uh, but people I know that have, that are like get bitter in this uh, doing this are some of the most talented because you know often they find out how not meritocratic it is. You know, it's not often success isn't based on how talented you are, right? It's so many other factors, and so they they get pissed off. So they're like, I'm great. I should be doing well. And it's, you know, I, I think a lot of times those people may not have kids because that humbles you pretty quick, man. I think yeah. the idea of having your, having your self-worth so heavily invested in what you do is, uh, is a ticket to, to disappointment, no matter what. Sure. I think that the, uh, the DIY sentiment, uh, although I come from a different angle, uh, it's similar in a sense. And, I think it's it, when I was younger, it was it was interesting to me. I remember the first time I talked to a, a local recording engineer and he said, well, what is it that you're wanting to do? And I said, well, I, I really like Ride Lightning and I really like Watermark by Enya. And I kind of want those things to be together. Right. <laughs> and he's like, well, you can't do that. And I remember thinking, well, fuck, the only way that you're going to be able to do these things is to learn how to do them. Yeah. So, so much of my career such as it is has been um has been based on trying to find solutions to just try and articulate these ideas that i've had and so i think there's a crossover there on some level well so uh when i was preparing for this it, it's probably one of the more difficult shows that to pre prepare for because your body of work is so kind of um awe-inspiring and, and and intimidating to kind of you know because my show generally is like a career retrospective show but i know it's kind of impossible with you because there's just so much to cover i know we're not going to get to everything and that's okay i'll just get i'll get you know just just enough um but what it had me thinking about you know you know, you're the, you're someone that i i hold in high regard and i and i believe as kind of a heavy music community, you know, you're generally held as high regard and, you know, words get used, you know, like genius, things like, things, things like this. And, you know, and, you know, that's personally what I believe. I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know if that's kind of, um, you know, you just spoke to, to humility <laughs> a second ago. I, mean, I would be suspicious of anybody that would, that would, uh, say such things about themselves for one. Like Kanye, know? Kanye says that about himself. I think that he's got a he's got a whole um, product line that depend that depends on that level of hubris. You know what yeah. I mean? I think that that's his brand. Of, that's his brand. Is like oh, that's him, right? But I think for the rest of us, what I've always uh, found to be interesting, and maybe this can help our discussion slightly, is is the body of work that I've done is is not as significant as the process that brought it forth. Hmm. Um, a lot of times as we progress or as I progress, uh, it's been difficult for some of the audience that want things to stay a certain way. But as I've always said, it's like the whole purpose of being a human being, in my estimation, we're meant to change. Sure. In absence of that, it's like problematic, right? So the process that, that I 
have gone through as a human being that involves that change is just mirrored by output. But the music is not necessarily of much significance to me. It's just the byproduct of a process that is significant. So with that process, you know, because it's interesting you say that that the, the music has little significance, but there also is this kind of um, detailed and precise level of execution, right? Like in terms of, so go, go ahead. Getting it right is important. Getting yeah. it right is of fundamental importance. And, and the humor of that for me is that I'm a perfectionist that is so far from perfect that it's my, my catalyst to continue is the fact that I never get it right. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like a carrot on the end of the stick. But no, the precision is super important because I find that I'm able to identify the, um, the, the nature of a certain period of time retroactively once I get to the end of a project. I'm able to say, okay, well, what I stumbled upon while playing guitar during this period has yielded X. And then once reductively, I'm able to sort of decide what it isn't, an identity appears and often... Maybe it's just because I'm emotionally stunted or what have you. By the end of it, I'm able to say, oh, you're processing death or this is a result of, of pandemic or this here is, is anger or fear or whatever it is. But it serves a practical purpose to get it as precise as possible because at the end, I'm then able to, to make a, an assessment on it and move on. Is that a a need for you or is there more of kind of like a workman's approach where it's like from <laughs> noon to six i'm working on music or writing music or it's just something like you it's as kind of as it is to breathe well i i appreciate you saying workman because 100 percent. in fact um something that i've always found myself not critical of but it's hard not to um uh, you know, I'll not poke fun of, but it's the, the, the sense that artists are, uh, uh, our work is so important to us that, you know, this is our life and it's my art and all this sort of thing. I've always viewed music coming from a, a sort of, I think it was Carl Jung, he talked about a collective unconscious, like human experience creates a pool of ideas that exist and are role as artists is if you have had experiences that allow you to be privy to this melody or this piece of work or this visual thing, then your job is to, to work. Mm. So it's really, it's, it, I, I'm much more comfortable with, with getting uh, acknowledgement for being a hard worker than I am for being like, Oh, that's, that's a, a good song or something because I'm like, well, the song isn't, it's just, the song was there. Like my work went into like trying to make it as close to the vision as it could be, right? Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is is like, is it something that exists kind of in your mind and soul, and then the work is kind of like extracting that out of the ether, or is it like, <laughs> like, because for me, it's like, like so, sometimes I'm I'm you know, I'm very jealous of uh, people like yourself who are who are so prolific because. I really have to, I get wrapped up just in work, right? Just dealing with life, right? And then, so I literally have to go, I'm writing today. I have to like force myself to shut everything else off. And then even when I do that, doesn't mean anything cool is gonna happen. So, you know, it might be nothing. Um, but, you know, so like, I feel like some people, and maybe that's just, it's just out of um, 
repetition and practice and 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 routine that they can kind of tap into that quicker and more uh, you know in a much more adaptable way so i guess that's what i'm getting at no i appreciate it and i i understand i i think it's the implication is that i'm i know more about it than i do to be perfectly <laughs> honest um when we had kids it changed for me because i think up to that point so much of my identity was the music right mm. but then after that i realized how it's just you say is it a fundamental need i mean dude if i couldn't make music anymore i would still go on living you know yeah. and it's like and the people i care about i would still care about and hopefully vice versa and it's so with that awareness which mortality certainly helps with you see people close to you die you're just like oh at any time that's me i'm next you know what i mean yeah. like we all die it makes the process of writing a lot more and i've said this before and i'll say it again about gratitude for the things that i have you know for my family for the fact i can walk for the fact i've got a nice guitar or whatever and the way that i write as opposed to it being a strategic process that yields certain things is everywhere around me are guitars like it's just there's guitars <laughs> everywhere and hey, i got some in here <laughs> dude of course and i just always play yeah. i play i just sit when i'm watching tv i got a little amp it's like and so the the parts of life that require me to be focused you know like we're renovating or there's suffering or parents or kids or school or or finances or all these things that we all have to contend with as adults the whole time i've always got a guitar and i just make these sort of subconscious decisions like oh that doesn't suck that doesn't suck and then i'll usually just record them on my phone and then mail them to myself yeah. so i've got like on my on my voicemail i've just got tons and tons and tons of 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 riffs that are just let's see well, it was a fart. <laughs> yeah, so that wasn't exactly it, but it's like, uh, um, yeah. So I just, like, I'll make things and then just record them and then send them to myself. And then I've got this folder on my computer that I just drop things on. And I very rarely look at it until such time that I have to create content of some level. And then... If I do have a skill that I I can I can claim as being uh, something that I'm I'm reasonably proud of, it's that when I listen to those riffs, I, I'm pretty good at remembering what it was I was trying to get across. Yeah. And so then when I sit and open up the studio and start to work, I can I can kind of document them pretty efficiently. So so it it's more than just a riff. It's actually kind of like part of this bigger idea. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's all connected to the moment in which it was written. And hmm. so, for example, uh, while I was working on these these projects that I did over the pandemic, it wasn't necessarily because I was thinking, oh, now's the time for me to write music. It's just after a while, I was like, oh, shit, I've written a ton of music during this pandemic just because I'm sitting on the couch or I'm watching TV or I'm like, you know, you know, sitting outside with a guitar or something, and I document it. And then by the end, of, I'm thinking, okay, well, you've got 50 ideas, and the trajectory of maybe these 10 are clear to me because a narrative within that is what we just went through. So how do you use these things that were written during that time to sort of represent that experience? And I, I admit that I find that 
fascinating and fun. And so that's my motivation to do it more than anything else. Um, I want to know about, you know, because you're someone who's kind of known for three things, which is being a great singer, being a great guitar player, but also being a producer. Um, how much, and especially, and I guess this maybe relates a little more to how home recording has become kind of the norm and having access to this technology and having kind of a technical know-how. Uh, how much is the recording and the engineering and the producing factor into like the songwriting? Like if you didn't Huge. have that capability, would that like interrupt the process? Huge, yeah. And it's the same thing that happened when the guy said I couldn't mix Metallica with any. I had to learn how to do it, right? Yeah. And it's, um, I am almost as fascinated with the process of engineering, producing, mixing as I am with composition. Mm. Uh, and I think because there's not a lot of parameters, there are certain schools of thought of which I've regrettably had to participate in on many occasions of people saying, you can't do it this way. Okay. The only way for you to get a good guitar sound, kick sound, whatever, is like you have to use a 1969 JCM 800 with a tube screamer, but it's got to be this chip and all this shit. And I'm thinking, yeah, but the song, it doesn't matter. You need a Marshall sound, right? So fractal or whatever. But in order to integrate these things so you can not only record yourself autonomously, but also have a certain degree of, of unpredictability in that comes down to learning things uh, uh, comprehensively. So by that, I mean the template that I've created for myself when I start to write is over the years, it's been preset. So I've got all the inputs and outputs pre-mapped. I've got drums, bass, several guitars, all the vocal tracks that I need, all my virtual instruments. I've got a keyboard right here. I've got a microphone on a podcast stand. I got the EverTune on the guitar so I can, if I capture something that is worth keeping, I don't have to go back and try and recreate it because it was out of tune. Yeah. I got one cable that feeds everything. I don't have a lot of gear. Like I just have like, I've got a good preamp for the vocals. Um, I work with some plugin companies that are great. So I've got a shitload of plugins, but I use five. You know what I mean? It's like, so for me, um, you're talking about workflow. You have a, you have basically simplified the process so that you're not, it's the recordings not getting in the way of execution, the idea. Well, because like you, I got so many things in my life to take care of, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? I got aging parents. I got kids. I got work. I've got all these things that require me not to be a fruitcake. So <laughs> when it comes time for me to allow myself that that you know latitude, like okay, you can be a fruitcake now for two hours. Yeah. Like I don't want to be tuning. I don't want to be checking cables. I don't want to be like adjusting things. I just want to go. And there's something about removing options that is. Uh, fundamentally sped up my workflow <laughs> i i need to do that I'm, I'm i'm definitely that guy who like i'll take out 10 different pedals and just mess around so, and it, it's it's no. time consuming but uh it, <laughs> it's fun though it's fun it is. i know i i only shake my head because it's not my thing but i i i do love it but no, i don't I think it. my way totally works so well <laughs> Well, but you know what? Okay, one of my closest friends, he do all he does is he'll go through pedals. He has not all he does, but he'll call me. He's like, dude, I've got six overdrive pedals. 
And, you know, I got a Klon. I've got this Tube Screamer. I got the Ibanez version of it. I've got the Maxon version. I've got all these ones. This one's got a different push in the mid range. And I've decided, you know what I mean? And he loves it. And, and for me, I appreciate it when people love that because it helps me when people say, dude, don't think about it. Use that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, you know, you know what I kind of caught on with that was, um, uh, what's his name? Tom Morello. How he would, you know, since back in the day, it's like same amp, same guitar, same three or four pedals. And, and, and when you, when you reduce those options and you go, Hey, you know what? Maybe this one amp is like 0.5% cooler, or maybe this one pedal, but going through all that. And cause if you keep chasing that, then the week after that, you're going to have a new amp and then they're going to release another amp. That's five percent cooler and you're gonna and you're constantly gonna be chasing this thing or as opposed to just just you know okay well devil's advocate devil's advocate um sure. i may not do that too much with pedals i think because i'm lazy and i don't like plugging them in but i would say that unlike tom morello he's got the same amp and the same guitar for all his years dude i love new guitars yeah and and i love different sounds i just don't like to um I don't like to uh, invest too much time in them because I don't have a lot of time. It's like uh, my life is full of so many things that I've chosen to, to participate in that when I get a chance to record, I just, I really want to just say, okay, I know that this is cool. And I know, and, but that being said, um, you know, line six sent me something the other day and I made a patch out of it. I've been playing this morning and Kiesel sent me a guitar. That's really cool. And it's like, so nice. they're really cool, man. And it's like, so I've been, I've been inspired over and over and over again by new gear. Um, but it has to be maybe, I guess maybe in figuring this out as we're talking, my time spent with new gear, I don't want it to overlap with the recording time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Especially, you know, you get to the point where people start sending you stuff and I'm sure you can relate to this where you almost feel bad when someone sends you a pedal or sends you an amp or guitar and then you just, you don't have the time to get around and use it. And you're like, then you like feel guilty and you're like, should I send this back? And <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally relate. I do feel though that the companies that I work with now are the ones that can take criticism Yeah, because I think when I first started, I was just so psyched on getting a free toy that you know i'm like oh this cardboard chord chart is the best chord chart of all times my name is devon or whatever right and but at the, at the you're also like i would never fucking use that like ever so now uh, like a company sent me a pedal the other day and they're like what do you think of it and i was like do you want to know what i think of it or do you want me to tell you it's great <laughs> because if you want me to tell you it's great you know it's like you know thanks for the pedal but if you want my honest opinion, when I was using it, this bugged me, this bugged me, this bugged me, and this bugged me, right? Yeah. And their reaction to that was, it, it typically goes in one of two ways. It's like, oh, cool. That's why we send stuff out to people who are working, because our goal is to try and refine that user experience so it's really good for people. But there's other people and other companies, I'm sure you've gotten to, that have so much, they're like, that's my pedal, man. That's how it works. And you're like, fine, man. Shall I, we send it back? I never, I never send... <laughs> Uh, suggestions unless it's something like a custom thing someone made for me and they actually go it, it's like a prototype or something like that you know? sure yeah where they, where they want want the feedback i do like to be able to say man this is awesome if only it did this it would be fucking way better for me yeah. right 
Yeah. They usually say no, but I like to say. <laughs> so I kind of wanted to ask you a couple of questions about um, your background. And, you know, when I discovered you, it was when you were in Guitar World with Steve Vai. And I remember seeing the kind of pretty sure, I think you were on the cover, too. Mm. And being kind of like, by the way, I hadn't even heard the record, but just like getting the uh, the Steve Vai cosign. And you also like looked cool. I was like, man, this guy looks cool. I don't, he had a cool hair thing happening, and <laughs> you know, <laughs> hey man, no, listen, you you've always been cool. But um, but I was just like fascinated. And I, I remember this one, this compliment that really stood out to me about what Steve said. He's like he because you know you were singing on the on the record Sex and Religion, but he was like he's like Devin's a great guitar player, and I was like if. You know, Steve Vai is calling you a great guitar player. That's pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, with, man. With you um, and just coming up and, and developing your, your skills as a musician, um, how much is it nature versus nurture? Were you just like a woodshedder, like someone who was in, in their room working on their craft, you know, 20 hours a day? <laughs> or, you know, you just come out the womb, you know, like, uh, like <laughs> Michael I, Jackson I, or something. <laughs> I credit my inability to get laid as a teenager to my <laughs> ability to do sweep arpeggios, right? Like, um, I think there's a direct like graph correlation. Like, you could agree. <laughs> but we're all, all young teens, <laughs> just like fucking god. But the, uh, um, I mean, it was it, it was a combination, both nature and nurture, for sure. I uh, was too young at the time with Steve to recognize uh, how fortunate I was, and and I was so desperate at that time for an identity of my own that that our relationship was was uh awkward for both of us he was going through a lot of stuff too you know he had just come off of white snake and he was a rock star and that was like the era where there that existed like <laughs> you could be a rock star man you know yeah and so and to this day you know we send texts and he's he plays on the stuff and i play on his stuff and it's like we're friends man and it's like I think though that how old, aside, how, how old were you when when you uh, met him and worked with him? Nineteen. Holy, that's crazy. Oh, dude, yeah. But I think it's 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 a combination. Had I not had that experience, of course, I would not have. I had an accelerated evolution, for lack of a better term, with my work as a result of not only working with one of the greatest guitar players, but also the whole scene. Like I moved to L.A. and met all these people that I'd only seen in magazines and. I went down there with stars in my eyes thinking like, oh, I'm going to be one of these people. Like, I can do this, you know, like I can be a rock guy or whatever. And then I'm I realized. I'm trying to imagine you in L.A. <laughs> what I know about work. you. <laughs> it didn't work, brother. And it's like I found that it's like with with my experience down there, it wasn't long before I recognized that I didn't fit in. And um not only did I not fit in, but I didn't fit in because I didn't fundamentally understand it. I had seen it from the perspective of a teenager who, who, who fantasized about it. And then when I came down there, I felt that the, the undercurrent of it all was so hard for me to ignore that I was disillusioned really quickly and reacted petulantly, to be fair as well. I reacted like a kid would. 
when you know you're deflowered by an industry at a young age i was like well <laughs> fuck all of you i'm just gonna make music of things exploding right <laughs> and uh and that's where strapping came from yeah i mean well it's so the you, sector religion comes out in 93 and then heavy as a real thing comes out in 95 and i i think that was like basically around the time i was discovering century media as a record label because they would put these like compilation cds and videos out would have and i kind of fell in love with the label because of um how diverse it was right yeah be like a hardcore band there'd be a black metal band uh power metal everything every everything in between and i'm i'm pretty sure I, I i heard something off that record but what really grabbed me was was city like a lot of us that's when we we kind of uh you know, that album is such, I mean, in my opinion, it's one of the best metal albums of all time, you know, Thanks, amongst Thanks, many of your great albums. But that one has a, I would say like, to me, there's a, um, not that you sound like this band, but you kind of uh, sit in the um, kind of metal history this way is like Meshuggah, where when you hear Strap Young Lad or you hear Meshuggah, they always, no matter what, whether you listen to it in 1996 or 2006, it always sounds like it's from the future. Hmm. Um, you know, well, that's like, a, it's a huge compliment. Thank you, man. Yeah, the because Meshuggah, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, the Meshuggah guys are. We were a part of our life since the beginning. Like I mixed uh, City with Daniel in the studio that they did Destroy Race and Prove. And Daniel Bergstrand. I, yeah, that's when I first met Fred, and we're still to this day. It's like, I think there's. <laughs> again there's different levels of dysfunction but i think that some older metal bands share a similar dysfunction and i know with them it's been a good relationship but i appreciate the compliment and century media was really forward thinking in that but the funny thing about century which which is my favorite part of it, is because i got signed to roadrunner uh but then uh, prior to heavy is a really heavy thing and monty's still a friend of mine but case the guy there hated it so he after i flew out there and we went out for dinner and did the whole song and dance uh monty sent me a mail saying oh by the way case heard the demo and hates it and now he doesn't want to sign you and i was like fuck and you know a bunch of things happened there that's like funny, an but... alternate reality like if you guys were on roadrunner i imagine that's just a totally different path in terms of like exposure and kind of budgets and that would have been interesting well, and also um, uh, exclusivity, which is the reason why I'm, I've been able to sustain myself here is because Borovoy became a friend of mine and yeah. I actually moved, moved in with him and <laughs> he offered me a deal that I was trying to like negotiate with. But because he's Bory, he was like, he's like, dude, no one else fucking wants your record. So you either sign with Century Media or you get out. And I was <laughs> like, okay, that's a dick thing to say, but he's right. So it's like, so I signed on. And then uh, part and parcel of me signing on is I sat with Robert and I said, listen, I'm, I'm happy to work with Century, but it has to be non-exclusive, meaning that the only thing that Century has uh, is, strapping. Um, is strapping. And I can do anything else. But at that time, I hadn't put out the first record. And I think he was just kind of like, yeah, sure, whatever. So I put out Ocean Machine and all those other things on my own label. And then that trajectory allowed me once I realized that uh, the lifespan of strapping was at a point where I couldn't participate in it anymore without repeating myself. I was like, okay, well now I've got this other thing that I've been fostering that I can work on. What was, um, 
the difference between, you know, because we were talking a lot about creativity and that, that process. And, um, that was kind of pinpointed as like a singular individualistic type of pursuit was strapping, uh, more band oriented in terms of, and collaborative in terms of how those songs are created, or is it still kind of you as like the centerpiece of the creativity? I think that, um, the vision that I bring to the creative aspect of, of, of music is, is kind of something that I can't, um, I can't change. And it's not particularly a democratic process. Mm. I think because <laughs> uh, a lot of what I've done in the past is include friends of mine. Like when it was strapping, I grew up with Jed and Byron, like they were friends of mine since we were kids. Right. And, uh, yeah. And so I, knowing that the way that I work tends to be idiosyncratic, but I like my friends, you know, I like hanging out. I don't, I don't want to be, you know, that weird dude that's like living in a cave somewhere. It's like, I like people. And so I was, but knowing that I did things the way I did, I was always trying to be like, dude, I'm writing this shit and it's fucked up, but please hang out with me while I'm doing it. You know what I mean? So I remember with Jed and Byron, I had written city and I was like done. And I called Byron. I was like, man, like I really need some some bros here. You know what I mean? Like, can you come down to LA and hang out with me? So and you did. did that. So it was just you and and Gene. That's well, all. I had written it prior to that too. I had all the demos done, and Gene learned the demos. You like, programmed I, it. Yeah, yeah, and so it was like. But I like the hang. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's important to me because I think that on some uh, level the fact that you've got a certain degree of camaraderie between musicians uh, translates through the music and through the audience. And so, but yeah, it's, it's never been particularly democratic. And, and the more that I get older, the more now that I've learned that you can lose friendships that way by sure. trying to make a uh, democratic dictatorship it's like we're all friends and everybody's got to say, but it goes like this. Yeah. It's no. like after a while, it's like it doesn't work, right? Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. It is now 2024, and the choice is up to you. Do you listen to good podcasts, or do you listen to bad ones? Well, we've got a suggestion for you. How about you listen to a good podcast? for the first time in your miserable life. I can think of one. Overnight Drive. Going strong. 11 years now. The podcast about nothing. Your favorite podcast's favorite podcast. Do you enjoy nothing? <laughs> so do we. Why don't you come over and check it out and stop listening to other podcasts. Thank you.
Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. It's, well, I think it depends who the individuals are and it depends on, I think, you know, I've been lucky enough now to be, to be in several band scenarios where I have different roles. I've been, you know, God forbid was like a full democracy, you know, you know, five guys, like even if there was more people contributing, like everything was done as a band and everyone had a say. And I've been in situations where I'm just like a hired gun. I've been in situations where it's like, I'm, you know, Bad Wolves, for example, I'm, I contribute, but I'm not the main thrust of the creativity in the business. I just kind of contribute, you know, where, where, where I can. And that's, and when you have a strong personality or strong creativity, it's tough to play. Like, I, I think sports is the best analogy where you have like, where you have to be a, a role player. Totally. Or you, you have like your stars and then the so and you'd be like a or like a you know acting a supporting actor right and yeah that takes a certain amount of management of your ego yeah no to, i agree but i think to, that if you're able to do that there's there's good things that can come from that absolutely. i think that um i think that uh you play a role on stage but I think the hierarchy is where a lot of times it, it loses me because when we're on tour, it's like the tour, you know, the bus driver, the merch person, the singer, whatever, everybody's equal. Yeah. But when you go on stage, you can pretend that you're not right. But everybody lifts gear. Everybody does the work. It's like, that's as simple as that because I think anything past that and you're not for lack of a less esoteric term, you're not honoring the music. Yeah. Everybody's well, everyone's, as, everyone's essential. You're all, a big totally. cog and machine and, and if one piece isn't working um the whole thing doesn't function i mean we had a band on totally. a tour we did recently where they ha they were missing some crew members and they canceled shows because they couldn't <laughs> do their show and it's like it shows you that everyone is is, is significant and, and and this is more like for people listening to this uh who don't know how t tours work behind the scenes is that you know the the way i think you know i think i'm sure there's definitely hierarchies between some bands work like there's some bands who are so big they barely even know the names of their crew sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. for a lot of us at, at our level there is really no difference it's like they are it's a big family and you're all totally. out there trying to achieve one goal and that's totally. actually like a very cool feeling when you have like all hands on deck and everyone feels like engaged into one kind of positive pursuit i agree 100 it's 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 something that has to be consciously fostered though because i think it's it's easy upon uh achieving certain degrees of success to to start to believe it you know like um and i think in some ways i'm grateful for what we just went through with the pandemic because it really reinforced the things about life that are ubiquitous that we all have to deal with like you got your family you've got your 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 parents you've got your your finances, you've got to eat, you've got to try and find ways to navigate this relentless onslaught of, of 
highly monetized negativity in social media, you know what I mean? And with that, there's not a lot of time for, for what um, you can be maybe in the past forgiven for, for, for believing, right? There's a couple of guys that I know were very successful musicians. And I remember watching them during the pandemic going, wow, man, in a zombie apocalypse, I don't know what these guys are going to be worth. Like they can't do anything. Like <laughs> the guy doesn't know how to fix it. He doesn't know how to tune his own guitar. It's like, you know, it's like chop wood, philistine. You know what I mean? And you're like, dude, but this is the thing. Is it's like the value of these people. Music aside, it's like I, you've got to be. I feel targeted be, right now. <laughs> oh, what, you, you can't know, do can't, it. Can't can't make a fire. <laughs> don't know how to hunt. <laughs> oh, dude, bet you could though. I bet you could. Hey, no, I should listen. I I know I know I'm like an an <laughs> urban ne'er do well. You know that. Uh, you know that. That's what, that's what I say for like my my liberal friends is like Bad make sure. Name. You, <laughs> uh, but but uh, I was like all my liberal friends. I'm like yo, you but make sure you have a bunch of conservative friends who got guns and like you know like a cabin somewhere, so that when the shit hits the fan, you got some people to rely on. Don't you can't have a bunch of just you know people at the cafe hanging out you know drinking you know uh old fashions all right we need like you know yeah, tough but, people that can handle stuff when the apocalypse goes down yeah but doc man uh <laughs> i don't know if you got the uh got the memo but but you know if you're on different sides of a political ideology you can't communicate well you know i i do not ascribe to that but yes a lot of us are unfortunately <laughs> stuck stuck in that vicious Dude, it's so um, ridiculous. Cycle, the whole you know? the whole thing is it's like so much of of what we're being um coerced into participating with are just these levels of divide division between us that just makes it it makes it really difficult right because all these concepts that are so uh contentious are also nuanced beyond right and wrong absolutely and it's it's so difficult to even broach a lot of these subjects when even that statement unto itself seems like it's loaded. Yeah. You know, like, look at this nuance, man. It's not as simple as just saying, don't do this and do this. Don't do this and do this. That's right. This is wrong. I mean, if everything was so black and white, maybe it would be you know, easier for people to contend with fear because there's like a, like a, like hard lines. But maybe that's the root of it is everybody's so afraid that they're looking for absolutes in places where there are none. And the result of that, a lot of times, is that there's no dialogue, and that lack of dialogue is is. Uh, I mean, it's exhausting. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I I would say our our biggest issue, and to me, this is not even. It relates to politics, but it's not political. But it's actually it's a kind of social and humanistic problem. Is that we have a crisis of bad faith, where the metaphor is two people meeting, to. Uh, you know, and they have an issue and they both have a knife hidden behind their back because they don't trust the other person. So when you think the other person is going to screw you over, you're like, well, I got to screw them over first. And that is at the heart of our issue. And it's like, um, I think it's at the, the, the heart of all feuds, right? And when you have a feud that lasts, you know, 300 years, 400 years, no one remembers who threw the first stone. All you do is remember, well, they did this last week, so you get them back, and then they get you back, 
and then it just escalates and escalates. And I say, it, in my opinion, I think it starts on the individual level. Like you have to set the standard, right? Um, and you can't really, like, I think it's very easy to blame social media and news and media. Like you choose your diet of what you consume. And if you eat, if you consume um, junk food of the mind, then you will have, you know, the results of that in terms of like how you think about the world, how you engage other people. And I think the pandemic just increased this like funhouse mirror version of reality that we see through these these filters, you know, and that's, and it's something that I think it's going to, going to take decades before we kind of look back on this period of time and go, what the hell happened? And it's probably going to get worse before it gets gets better and it'll take a while you know so how do how do we uh go about trying to find solutions to that do you have any idea well like i like i said i think it starts on the individual level like you have like what i do is you know i think the hardest thing is actually talk about these issues in a way that's not divisive right because maybe there's some situation where someone is wrong but if you call that person out or that faction out people will say well you're only doing that because you're for the other side right and it just makes it really tough i honestly just think we have to in some ways realize none of us have control right like mm -hmm. we can't i can't make everyone love each other neither can you no matter how many cool love songs we make <laughs> you know mm. um I think realizing our powerlessness to some degree is part of it. Cause if you're insane, right? Because all you're doing is reading the internet or watch news, right? You become that person who has the um, illusion of control. That's why people go out and post all this stuff and do these videos. Cause they go, I'm going to change. I'm going to put my stamp on how I can affect the world. But you know, unless you're, you know, Ben Shapiro or one of these huge media figures who has a big platform, you're generally, as uh, John Stewart was said, pissing in the ocean, right? You're not really making uh, an impact. So I think the first thing you got to do is stay sane, realize you can't affect the whole world and just, you know, start, start with yourself and, and try and put as much positivity as you can personally. And hopefully that's infectious. But I just, I just think you got you got to realize that you got to remove yourself from the fight. To so what do you write about? What's that? So what do you write about? Songs? Sure. Um, it's funny. I haven't written a ton of lyrics, you know, lately. It's more like... Hypothetically, you're in a situation where you've got a, you've got a megaphone. Yeah. You've got an audience to any degree, and the, you are the singer. Yeah. So conceptually... Knowing what you had just said about, you know, accepting a lack of control and accepting the fact that uh, you've got to start with yourself, what do you write about? Well, it's, just a well, question. It's funny. I like. I feel like I'm in. I'm in a songwriting class. Um, you know, I think unfortunately for me, as a writer, I would probably be like, uh, there's that great uh, Groucho Marx quote about. I would never be a part of a group that would have me as a member is mm. that there's <laughs> some of some of my worldview sometimes is uh i would say it's nihilistic but it's not very like i'm not a rah-rah person right i'm not necessarily going to write lyrics just to make uh to pander 
to anyone. And so a lot of it, I think my lyrics will be about holding up a mirror to like our collective ugliness and going, hey, can we stop being so stupid? You know, maybe, so I, I, it'd probably be a bit satirical, you know, that maybe unless you really understood what I, where I was coming from, you might not even be able to, the, the problem with good satire, sometimes people don't actually realize it's satire. Sure, <laughs> yeah. You know, so, you know, I've, I've thought about it recently because I am actually putting out a solo track coming up, but it's it's a cover song, but I, I have to follow it up with some original material. So I definitely need to start writing some lyrics. And I'll say this, I've never, had more to say than now, I think. Like for the first of my life, I feel like a singer, quote unquote, in terms of like, there are things emotionally I want to get out through lyrics. Like what? Like what? See, you, you're turning this around. He's, you got to see what he's doing, right? He's now, he, now Devin is, is the host of the show. And I'm being no, I'm interested. Guy. I'm interested. Oh. And the, re the reason, the reason I'm interested is because I think, why am I interested? Because I think we have a certain degree of uh, influence. Mm. And I do find that a lot of the reason why I tend to be less willing to uh, have my views uh, put forth is because I find they're so fluid. You know, it's like my identity seems to shift from experience to experience. Yeah. And with that, uh, I find that the amount of work retroactively to say, oh, that thing that I was so passionate about there, I realized upon further investigation that maybe I was, you know, off base with this, or maybe I was not strong enough on this, on this statement here. And um, I think that coming out of the pandemic, there has been a lot of analysis that's had to go into my own process. And going back to what you said about, uh, starting with yourself, I think the first thing is uh, to be able to call yourself on your own bullshit. Mm. And I find that for myself, um, so many long-held beliefs that I have been passionately uh, uh, willing to to put out there shift. Yeah, Like maybe you have a conversation with somebody. Maybe you have an interaction with somebody who thinks differently than you. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what? I never thought of it from that point of view. And with that, does that diffuse some of the anger that I had? Does that rationalize some of these other things that I have? I don't know. But I guess um, the idea of getting to know yourself and really getting to know yourself beyond like some of the biasing and some of the programming and all these sorts of things is really important from a lyrical point of view, in my estimation. Yeah, I mean... I I love what you said there because I think that might kind of be at the heart of some of our issues is that people are really resistant to ideas that um, counter challenge. Yeah. challenge because their their ide ideology has become identity. And I'm sure mm -hmm. to some degree it's, it's always been that way, but it's mm -hmm. much more like now it's about you know, what you put in your profile and I'm with this. And, and as you see, we're, we're self-segregating, right? The people that believe this are moving to these areas and the people believe this are staying in, in, in these areas and your social circle is becoming a lot more homogenized. And me, I'm the exact opposite of that where I'm kind of addicted to revelation and not in the religious sense, but in the kind of just like practical sense of like, Hey, here's this counterintuitive thing. You thought this, but it actually was this. I love that. I love being wrong. 
about stuff. Not that it's a good feeling to go, oh, I thought it, but I was actually thinking about this the other day about- I'm getting used to that feeling, by the way. (laughs) Yeah, but but I I, like, we kind of live in this post-truth world where like, if you're of this ideology, you go to these sites and you follow these people and they tell you this narrative. And then if you believe this, you over here and they believe this narrative and the, the two don't really intersect. And I was thinking about it and I was like, you know what? Truth is essentially like parallel with the scientific uh, process where like, let's say there's some event, right? Like a terrorist attack, right? And you'll get a news report about what happened. But that news report is just the best facts they have at that moment. And essentially, as they get more information, that story will be updated. And so everything is kind of like that. And actually finding the truth of things in some instances is some things are unknowable, which I don't think people really truly kind of conceptualize. And what one time when you know something, you go, well, this is what we know for now, but we have to realize that it's not this thing that's in concrete that, you know, sometimes it's just about context. It's like, oh, here's this uh, video of the police beating, beating someone down, which is, oh, and you go, that's a fact until you see the other camera angle that someone else shot and all of a sudden it creates more context and gives you a more more full figured version of what the truth is and i think everything is like this so it's in a weird way i've like lamented the death of of objective truth but also realizing that it's this thing we're kind of striving for and you know i don't know it's it's but it's this this problem i have where it may, let's say you and i disagree on something and if we can't agree on what is real, then we kind of can't have a conversation. And that's very scary. Yeah, but it's also interesting because we're talking about uh, in the beginning, uh, the music and how I think I had mentioned that the process is what it's about. And it's not that the music is inconsequential because you want to get it accurate, but it's the process it's, that's important. And what mm-hmm. you just were talking about made me think, the development of a news story, like taking your example, is also a process. And so I guess that in uh, in essence, it's the journey that's the most important part of all of this, right? And I think that um, I think that a way out of it, which is why I asked your opinion of that earlier, is maybe maybe the recognition that so much of what we're being fed is is simply entertainment right like and it's and we're in this <laughs> we're in this environment where the world just seems to get off on on outrage and it's like but on every level like on every political ideology every religious ideology it's like so much of it seems to be based in in not even being offended but just like being offended to the point where you shut people down. You're like, what you just said is incongruent with my programming, my bias. Therefore, there's no discussion, yeah. right? And it's um, it's a it's a difficult proposition, man. And it's also one that I just think that you got to be really careful with your opinions because the chances of them changing with new information, like the process of the news is inevitable in a lot of ways that's part of growth i think it's a it's a it's a complex time to to have strong opinions in a lot of ways 
Yeah, well, it's it's uh, and I always and I find especially with Bad Wolves being my other my other band being a little more in the kind of hard rock realm, you kind of see <clears throat> like lyrically kind of speaking what you're talking about like lyrical concepts, and I notice a lot of bands seem to kind of be talking about the same things, which is it's totally which is this you know this we all survived you know lucky those who are lucky enough to have survived through through the pandemic um so you get a lot of kind of anti-cancel culture records anti-woke records or kind of you know this idea about that what we experienced of you know government control um you know you know like even like like muse's new album which i I just listened to and it's like you know compliance like it's one of songs like like so everyone had this collective experience so then what is rock and roll about rock and roll is about rebellion rock and roll is about saying is it like i is mean well, so you remember is that it? movie school of rock with uh jack uh, black oh yeah, yeah oh yeah, yeah sure you sure, know sure. and he's he and in a, in a weird way he's he's right you know and it's he's t- telling the kids like what rock and roll is about and he's like it's like sticking it to the man yeah, but that's a rule in and of itself, you know? And I mean, yeah. I think it's that's what's frustrating about it is like the parameters set on a lot of what is acceptable in these genres that seem to pride themselves on being nonconformist is absurd to me. Yeah. It's like it's like we're in hard mo- music, hardcore, metal, whatever. You know, we don't stick it to the man, fuck the government and all this <laughs> stuff, but don't do it like this. Don't do it like that. Yeah. Don't do it like this either. And that's not right. You know what I mean? But if you stick within this, we've got this this homogenized version of what we've collectively as a, a genre decided that we stand for. And I find that frustrating because it's like if you say anything outside of that, it's like either uh, viewed as as like uh, I, I don't even know what it's viewed as. Right. Well, I think and, you're, uh, you're, you're you're looked at as being perhaps someone who who you know, like a, a, as they would call a sheeple. <laughs> so someone who go, goes along with the program. Well, it's, it's, it's so funny. So I just got this, um, you can see it, this, they live tattoo kind of, oh, yeah. anyway, of anyway, but, you know, but, but they, like the, the whole thing with they live was the aliens were like all the, the, the subliminal messages was like, obey, consume, right. All the, yeah. all this stuff. And the, the first battles album was called disobey which was directly inspired from They Live. And I remember a lot of people, you know, because I was, you know, relatively, you know, supportive of some of the measures to, like, try and contain the the, the virus and all, and all this stuff. And people were like, you don't even believe, you know, th- your your own records because, <laughs> you know, you got vaccinated or something. I'm just like, it's just an album title. Like, Metallica has an album called Kill Em All. They didn't kill nobody. Did Dang. I thought you know, that goes the, the romance of that record for you know, me. But. Well, just, but it's like, yes, do I do I agree with the the sentiment of, by the way, a lot of these people also fail to realize that like they live was a direct metaphor to like the uh the excesses of Reagan era capitalism sure. and stuff. It was yeah. like it wasn't like it wasn't like open to interpretation. He literally said this is what the movie's about. But uh <laughs> put um, the glasses on. Dude, that yeah. fight scene is like probably the longest fight scene in who's the, who's the guy that he was fighting? Keith David. When he was who? Keith David. Yeah. So, so when he's forcing him to put the glasses on, dude, I watched that maybe about six months ago. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, and I was shocked at how long that scene went on. 
Oh, it was just a wrestling match. <laughs> you, uh, you know, Family Guy. Yeah, yeah. Re redid like in one of their episodes. I think between uh, the dog and the and the dad, they do sure. this fight. Oh my god! For, they do the whole fight, note Amazing. for note. But I think it's Amazing. nine minutes or something. It's something crazy. That's what it felt like. Yeah, no, no, but I get it, and it's like, um, yeah, I, I totally, I totally, I totally see where you're coming from, man. It makes sense. I think it's, it's getting back to my my motivation lyrically i don't even know if we were talking about it but it just made me think about it so much of my confusion with my own uh um opinions slash identity has to go hand in hand with the obligations that as a human being i i have to i have to take care of you know what i mean like i have to make a living i have to take care of my folks i have to take care of my kid i have to take care of my wife it's like i've got a mortgage it's like all these things require me as a human being to not only participate in all this divisive uh, narrative, but also I've got to find a way to navigate. Yeah. And because it's, it's like you say, there's the, the loss of objective truth makes it such that having hard opinions is also problematic for me because I, I don't have a lot of time to waste. So yeah. if I like, I'm like, okay, I know exactly how I feel about gun control or any of these things. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know, you maybe meet somebody who has a different point of view. And you're just like, and you're like, oh, okay, it's not as clear cut as what I, what do you mean it's not as clear cut? It is. And you're just like, holy shit. So I feel that the, the only recourse for me is to just shut the fuck up and figure out who I am. And then through that, the music exists as a process of self-discovery. And that's why it's fluid. Like sometimes when I'm 25, I'm like, fuck everybody. You know, I fucking hate you. And then when I'm 35, I'm like, it's all about love. <laughs> and then, you know, on next, I'm just like, it's all chaos. It's coffee and aliens or whatever. Yeah. And a lot of times people will interpret that as being like, well, clearly there's something amiss with you because there's no linear trajectory to it. But my explanation for it is the world moves at such a pace. My opinions, it's not that they're fluid on a fundamental level, but it's like there's a certain amount of latitude that I have to give for progressive information. And I think that the only way that I can affect any sort of change, because I do have a megaphone to some small degree, is to figure out who I am and sing about that. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, actually, I, I listened to your new album, uh, Lightwork, last night, and it's, you know, it's 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 got a vibe. It, it it comes in pretty mellow, but in a in a great way. You you do every everything well. Is this you know this kind of scope? I guess what you're talking about lyrically. Are you talking about specifically with this new record? No, all of it. And yeah. and first off, thanks for listening to it. But I mean, it's funny. It's like I've been like you had said about a lot of the scene, like news and like rebel and. I'm listening to a lot of peers and, 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 um, you know, colleagues releasing records now, and it's just so full of anger and rebellion. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, are you guys fucking exhausted? I'm exhausted. Like, where are you getting the energy for this shit? So when it came up for this record for me, I did two during the pandemic. I did one called the puzzle, which was really abstract. And then light work was more of a reaction for me just saying, no, I get it. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I've got a lot of anxiety, but I've also been through uh, a lot. So my bandwidth right now is really low. So what do I choose to play? 
I'm choosing to play something that sort of cools me down as opposed to fire me up. Maybe in the future that'll change. But I think it's funny how um, this is a direct example of how a statement can be interpreted as a fact. So mm. if in the process of having a fluid connection to your own identity, you stumble across different facets of it over the course of albums, strapping, Ocean Machine, Terrier, Infinity, Ziltoid, Puzzle, Lightwork, whatever. Each one of them has a different emotional arc because that was the period in which it was written. However, every time I put out a record, and as you know, you do interviews, it becomes your identity. It's like, oh, because you've put out a, a mellow record, you must be a mellow person. And it's like, no, that's just where I was. And that has led me to where I'm going next. And I think that the only thing as a lyricist that I can bring to the table is the awareness that I don't have a fucking clue. I don't have a clue. Well, I mean, I love that perspective because I think truly, you know, that is a mark of, of intelligence because, you know, the more you have that realization, because like, as I said, that, that point about unknowable, right? There's just some things we can't know. <laughs> All of it. The the landscape always changes and we have to, you know, fix ourselves constantly and recalibrate uh, what's going on, what we believe, what we think, what we know, because the information is always changing. So I, I think that type of um, intellectual humility is like su super relevant to intelligence because because if you stay static, then the world's going to keep moving and you're going to be in a headspace from before and not not evolving well i mean it's also you see rock stars who have you know been honed to have like a superhuman ego just for self-preservation so they can get up in front of hundreds of thousands of people and say you guys ready to rock or whatever it is right i think that same sense of like self uh is the same thing that's going to get threatened if somebody disagrees and i think that's also you know, on my on my side, it's one of my crosses to bear is like, you know, I, I don't like, you know, like I like, I've always been sort of a people pleaser, which up until recently worked okay, but now it, it doesn't, right? But I think that part and parcel of that is a certain insecurity that when you say something that somebody else disagrees with, the energy that comes off of them is like a lot of times anger, even if they don't recognize it, it's like what you just said is in opposition to something that is part of my nature. It's like whether or not I can accept it, it's like this is what's happened. Is I'm this person. My trip is this. And you said that, and so fuck you. You know what I mean? And it's like yeah. you had said earlier, it's like opinion. when opinions become identity, you got a real problem. And not only when it comes to uh, discussions between friends or anything, but, God, try and have any degree of, of, of conflict resolution when the first – port of call emotionally is to be angry it's like yeah. brutal man yeah and well, I think, go ahead sorry no that's it um i was told we all have an hour um i don't know if if you know i have a few more questions yeah, but, I, I, but but i don't want if you have something coming up then i'll, I'll i got I'll another you know. one right now actually unfortunately bro. that's all right well it, listen Devin. thank you so much for for doing this man i feel like i could talk with you all day um 
you're absolutely incredible, man. Such a fan. Thank you for being such a, a cool guy to me over the, all these years. You too, bro. I really appreciate uh, what you've done, and I appreciate what uh, – <laughs> I worked with Kyle for a minute there too. That was Yeah, cool. yeah. That was, I saw some footage. sounded incredible. And Wes and Dirk. Wes did, and Dirk. Yeah, they're all great, man. I, I, uh, I've always been a little – a little left to center because of my interest, but I like being part of uh, a team. You know what yeah. I mean? So thanks for allowing me to uh, pitch it for the day. Awesome, brother. Uh, congrats on the record, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Doc. See you. Bye. Cheers.
you just heard a brand new track from Devin Townsend entitled Moon People, which will be the debut track. Well, the, the first song off the uh, off his new album, which is entitled Lightwork, and that's coming out October 28th. Man, what a song. That thing is so good. And I just listened to it on headphones. And I, you know what? I think that's the way to listen to it. You get, you get to uh, absorb all the details and uh, just beautiful stuff happening there, man. He is, he's unbelievable. And, and that conversation was, was really incredible for me. It, uh, it, it, it ended up in some tangents. I wasn't really totally expecting. And I had all these questions, uh, really a lot of, uh, strapping and lad questions. I really didn't get to, but sometimes you got to let the conversation just go where it goes. And I can tell with, with Devin, he, uh, he just kind of goes with it. And, uh, I was trying to go with him, there as well and uh i I could tell he and i could probably talk for hours for about all kinds of different subjects and uh i'm sure all of it would be fascinating and interesting so huge thanks to devin for for taking his time to, to, to be on the show that was just like you know definitely uh one of the one of the coolest things i've gotten to do on on this show so uh hope you guys enjoyed that um i leave in two days or well, the day after tomorrow uh bad wolves is starting a european tour with volbeat and skindry that very long tour but we're doing i mean we're playing everywhere uh all over europe and then bad wolves just added four headline shows in the uk because we're not on the uk portion of the tour with volbeat so we'll be playing uh london glasgow birmingham and manchester in uh december in mid-december and some of those shows are already selling pretty well so i've definitely we're doing small venues so if you're uh if you're a uk fan and you love bad wolves i would definitely get tickets soon uh because you might be left in the cold if you wait too long and it will be cold it will be it'll be december and we'll be tired we'll have been there for two months but we'll probably be pretty tight by then though so that'd be exciting whoa it's a big truck going down the street fire truck <laughs> sorry i'm doing the uh doing the show at my window open you never never know what's going to happen in busy long beach but i've just been getting prepared for the the tour getting all my equipment ready and rehearsing and just uh it's quite daunting but uh i'm looking forward to it i i really enjoy playing in europe and haven't been there in almost three years and this is a, a tremendous opportunity so i hope to see all the all the badass Bad Wolves fans, and uh, it should be a good time. Alrighty, I'm gonna get out of here. I'm gonna get back to work. Love y'all, and Mama's out.
Ready for a head-bangingly good time? Dive into the world of heavy metal with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Here, we don't just talk music. We welcome you into our heavy metal family. Join us for candid chats with legends and rising stars. We go beyond the typical interviews, exploring raw emotions and the life-altering impact of heavy metal. So whether you're a diehard metalhead or just curious, join our family and let the headbanging begin with the Brutally Delicious Podcast. Welcome.